Anyway, good morning, everybody. Great to see you all this morning. I hope you all had a great weekend and, and are doing well this morning. You know, this has been a challenging year, hasn't it? It's been a really challenging year, and yet when we look back over the year, we can see the Lord has been very, very kind to us, hasn't he? Uh, he's protected us. He's enabled us to make it through one whole semester, and here we are almost a third of the way into the spring semester, and it's just a wonderful thing. So I thank the Lord for his kindness to us this year. And I also want to thank the leaders at Covenant College for their great work in leading us this year. But I also want to thank you all for what you've done, keeping your commitments um, to uh, protect each other and making this possible for us to live and work and worship and even play together this year. So thank you. I know this has uh, required sacrifice. It hasn't been easy for any of us with all the restrictions and protocols. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for your diligence, your care for one another. Thank you for taking up your crosses, denying yourself, taking up your crosses during this pandemic. So thankful for you and for this entire community. And I'm also thankful uh, for uh, the opportunity that I have to open the scriptures with you this morning. What a great privilege that is, and I'm truly grateful for it. Let me invite you, if you will, to turn your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, if you have one available. Luke chapter 19, we're gonna be taking a look at the first part of that chapter in just a little bit. And while you're turning, let me ask, uh, we'll ask for a show of hands on this. How many of you uh, learned the little Sunday school song about Zacchaeus when you were kids? You know the song, uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he? That's a lot of you. That's a lot of you. Well, to make, whoops. Uh, am I doing something? <laughs> uh, so I was tempted, I was really tempted to sing this song to you this morning, uh, but uh, some members of my family uh, persuaded me maybe that shouldn't be done, so I promised them I wouldn't do it. So you can thank them that I'm not singing to you this morning. Um, of course, if you know that song, and a lot of you do, it's now in your heads, isn't it? This is one of those songs that once it gets into your head, it's kind of hard to get it out of it, isn't it? So um, I probably ought to apologize to you even for bringing that up. Uh, if, you're, uh, if it's in your head uh, a few hours from now, you're having trouble getting it out of your head, you're probably going to want to shoot me anyway. Um, anyway, um, we're going to take a look, though, at, at the account of Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus this morning. You know, we were talking about this story at home the other night, and my 16-year-old son, Josh, pointed out that the kid's song really misses what's so remarkable about this encounter. And you know what? He's absolutely right about that. He's absolutely right. This is a truly remarkable encounter with Jesus. And I hope we're able to see something of that this morning. As we come to Luke 19, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, where very soon he will be betrayed by one of his very own disciples. And he'll be abandoned by the rest, as he is arrested, falsely accused, unjustly tried, beaten, mocked, tortured, and ultimately executed in one of the most painful and shameful ways ever devised by humanity. He'll be the victim of the greatest act of injustice ever committed in human history. That's where he's headed. In Luke's account, Jesus has been making his way from Galilee up north of Samaria down to Jerusalem and Judea since chapter 9. And Jesus made that journey knowing full well what uh, was going to happen to him there. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and he went deliberately. This was his mission. 
This was his mission. Jesus was on his way to pay the infinite debt for sinners, and he was fully committed to doing it. It's taken some time to get there, of course. Uh, A lot of things have happened along the way. Luke records some of those. But now he's getting close. He's at Jericho, which is not far from Jerusalem. So he's made it pretty far in his journey. And he's just healed a poor, blind man, a beggar, as he's coming into the city. Then we get to chapter 19. So let's read verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this passage of scripture. Thank you for the scriptures as a whole, and thank you for recording this particular account. Would you please give us eyes to see Jesus? We want to see Jesus this morning. Please help us. We pray this in his name. Amen. So who is this man, Zacchaeus? Who is this man, Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is Jewish, but you know what? He's not a good man. He's not a good man. He's a tax collector. In fact, he's a chief tax collector in a wealthy city that's a hub for tax collection uh, by the Roman government in that part of the world, in that region. The Roman government didn't actually collect taxes themselves at this point in their history. What they did was they contracted out this job uh, to wealthy members of various communities, um, and those men that that got the contracts typically overcharged the people. They typically overcharged the people, and they pocketed gobs of money for themselves. So the the Roman government knew about this, but they kept a blind eye. They turned a blind eye to it. So... Um, This is what was happening. And being a chief tax collector, I'm assuming that Zacchaeus was already wealthy before landing this gig and that he had outbid others for the contract. Uh, And that he in turn then contracted with others to actually do much of the dirty work for him. In other words, he was a ringleader of a syndicate of tax collectors in a very wealthy city. And all of these were bilking the people in the name of the state. Jews who did this sort of thing were considered despicable, absolutely despicable by the rest of the Jewish community. For not only were they serving the Roman oppressors, but they were marking up the charges and they were stealing from their own people. They were rightly seen as unjust, unrighteous. They were classified as sinners. 
That's who Zacchaeus was, ladies and gentlemen. He was not some innocent man who happened in God's providence not to be very tall. No, he was a thief whose criminality was supported by the state. He was a man of privilege and power who abused, who abused his privilege and power to, uh, to extort, to um, uh, exploit his own people. That's who he was. So among the Jews, he was detestable, a persona non grata, hated as the enemy by his own people. So you can imagine that uh, as the Jewish crowd fills the street there in Jericho to see Jesus, they're not at all interested in giving Zacchaeus a spot where he can see Jesus as well. Why would this sinner want to see Jesus? This unrighteous man certainly can't have any serious or legitimate interest in seeing Jesus. Surely Jesus would have nothing to do with him. But not to be dissuaded, Zacchaeus does what would have been considered undignified in that day. He actually runs ahead of the crowd and he climbs a tree, climbs up into a tree so he could get a bird's eye view of Jesus. Clearly, he wants to see Jesus with his own eyes. I don't know why he so desired to see Jesus at this point, but his decision, his decision to perch himself in that tree that particular day turns out to be one of the most momentous decisions that he would ever make. Well, Jesus gets to the spot, and he looks up, and he sees this man in the tree. It's got to be probably a kind of a humorous thing, I don't know, but probably a little unusual. But what Jesus does next, folks, is eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping, astounding to me. Look what he does. He calls the man, he calls to the man, and he doesn't just do this generically, hey, man, or hey, dude. He says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. He calls the man by name. Folks, Jesus knew this man. Jesus knew this man. And he knew who this man is. Okay, as Jesus sees him up there in that tree, he knows that Zacchaeus is a notorious sinner, the sort of person that no good Jewish person would have anything to do with. Yet Jesus calls him by name, and notice what else he does. Rather than publicly shame him, which no doubt would have received the approval and applause of the crowd, Jesus does the unthinkable. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' home to hang out with him. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see it? This is so politically incorrect. So politically incorrect. We can kind of relate to the crowd somewhat, can't we? I mean, in our culture, people jump at the chance to publicly shame those that they consider unjust. And if you associate in any way with someone who is considered unjust uh, in our culture, or if you appear to support such a person in any way, you'll be canceled and you'll be publicly shamed with them, won't you? But that's not Jesus' way. That's not Jesus' way at all. And it cannot be the way of his followers either. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't ask Zacchaeus if he can come to his house? No, Jesus actually commands Zacchaeus, come on down out of that tree because you're hosting me in your home today. How does Zacchaeus respond? Does Zacchaeus bristle and rebuke Jesus? Who do you think you are? inviting yourself over to my house today. No, that's not the way Zacchaeus responds at all. He comes down immediately and welcomes Jesus gladly, according to verse 6. 
this sinner, let's get this, this sinner, this notorious, filthy, rich extortioner and exploiter welcomes this righteous man who, by the way, has no material wealth and offers no promise of helping Zacchaeus uh, increase his wealth. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Something's going on here. Well, the crowd is not pleased at all with this. This really gets under their skin, doesn't it? Verse 7, you see that. This doesn't fit their expectation with respect to Jesus. This isn't the way good, righteous people are supposed to relate to unrighteous, unjust people. This is simply outrageous. This man, Zacchaeus, after all, is a perpetrator of injustice and ought to be shunned, publicly humiliated, not welcomed, not accepted. But Zacchaeus stands up. And rather than defend himself, he doesn't get defensive here, rather than defend himself, he publicly begins repenting of his sin right there on the spot. I've been thinking a lot about repentance lately, which is what actually drew me to this text. And there there are actually a couple of important aspects of repentance that we see right here. First of all, Zacchaeus essentially confesses. Rather than defending himself, rather than trying to justify himself, he, in effect, admits that the people are right about him. And the second thing he does is he begins to actively address his sin right there. Two kinds of sin, in fact. Sin of omission, failure to care for the poor, sin of commission, his theft. By the way, I won't go into it uh, this morning, but Zacchaeus goes way beyond what the law requires in dealing with this sin. He goes way beyond it. What's going on here? Well, Jesus had taught his disciples clearly about the cost of discipleship, hadn't he? Back in chapter 9 in Luke's gospel, Jesus had told his disciples if they were going to be his disciples, they must deny themselves, take up their crosses daily, and follow him. And that's what Zacchaeus is beginning to do. That's exactly what he's beginning to do. He's beginning where his sin is most prevalent, isn't he? His greed, his love for money. Now, you might be tempted to think that Zacchaeus' repentance is pretense, that this is all a show to impress the crowd or maybe to impress Jesus, but it isn't. It's real, and we know it's real. How do we know it's real? We know it's real because Jesus indicates that it's real in verse 9. Jesus gives the interpretation, and as he addresses Zacchaeus, Jesus actually lets the smug, self-righteous, virtue-signaling crowd know that Zacchaeus has genuinely made a U-turn in life. He's done a 180. That contrary to their take on him, he really is one of God's chosen people, a son of Abraham, a man of true saving faith. His his repentance is actually a manifestation of that. It's not a show. It's not pretense. He's a man of true saving faith. When you think about it, in a sense, Jesus is not in the home of a sinner after all, is he? He's in the home of a former sinner, to be sure. Zacchaeus was a sinner, but he is no more. Jesus has turned this sinner into a saint, a saved man. And sanctification has already begun. Amazing. Furthermore, through him, salvation has come to his entire household, his entire his entire family. They are now counted among the truly righteous because of Jesus. 
Well, I want to note also that this repentance and faith, this salvation, this conversion is doubly remarkable because Zacchaeus is not just a sinner, he's also wealthy. Why is that important? Well, Jesus, or sorry, just a short time before in uh, chapter 18, middle of chapter 18, another wealthy man had had an encounter with Jesus. You remember that one? He had asked Jesus what he needed to do to be saved and what did Jesus told him? Jesus had told him he needed to, he needed to sell everything he owned, give his wealth up to help the poor. That man had turned away from Jesus. He wasn't willing to give up his wealth. That was too high a cost. That was asking too much. At that point, Jesus had told his disciples that it's very difficult for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said? He said it's easier for a camel, a large thing, to go through the eye of a needle, a tiny thing. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus also noted that what's impossible for us human beings is totally possible for God. In other words, God and only God can bring about the needed conversion, right? Well, here in Zacchaeus, Jesus demonstrates this clearly. He does the humanly impossible. He saves a wealthy man before their very eyes. Marvelous. This had to be super encouraging to his disciples. The most difficult to reach can be reached by Jesus. The most difficult to reach can be reached by Jesus. I love what Jesus says next in the last verse in our passage, verse 10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was a lost man. Yes, he was Jewish, but he loved money rather than righteousness. He loved money rather than God, so much that he hoarded it and was willing to steal from his own people to get more of it. He was lost. Jesus came to seek and to save him. As Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and welcomes him into the family and begins to transform him, remember Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem. He hasn't reached his destination yet. He's on his way to Jerusalem to pay for Zacchaeus' sin, something that Zacchaeus could never do with all his riches. He could never do it for himself. Yet Jesus takes the time to stop there in Jericho in order to go ahead and give Zacchaeus a new heart and bring him into the family. Isn't that breathtakingly beautiful? That is just absolutely beautiful to me. Again, that's the opposite of what the crowd of religious people expect or want. But that's who Jesus is. He accepts sinners. Jesus accepts sinners. But note that he does not leave sinners where they are, does he? He doesn't let them stay or remain in their sin, but he transforms them. This is who Jesus is, and this is how he works. He calls us to repent and trust him alone to be saved from our sin. And he enables the very faith and repentance that he requires. Excuse me. Wonderful. Well, what about you? Do you sometimes worry that your sin is just too much for Jesus to handle? If you're tempted to think that way, don't. It's a lie. It's a lie. What's impossible for you 
is quite possible for God. Zacchaeus is proof of that. Zacchaeus is proof of that. The same is true for others whom you might think are beyond saving. Is there anyone that you just think, oh my goodness, that person just cannot be saved? That's just not true. Zacchaeus is proof of that. So keep praying and keep pointing them to Christ. Let me ask you another question. Jesus calls us to live lives of self-denial. Are you having difficulty denying yourself? What sin are you having a hard time letting go? What do you still need to give up in order to follow Jesus? I know that thinking about our sin is uncomfortable. When we're convicted of our sin, the feeling of guilt and shame can be overwhelming. It can lead us to try to hide, to withdraw from God. But folks, that's the opposite of what we need, isn't it? We need Jesus. We need to see Jesus. See what Jesus' love does? He moves towards us. He moves towards Zacchaeus. He does the same with us. He moves towards us, and that enables us to move toward him. In Christ, there's no more hiding, no more fear, no more paralyzing shame. I can be transparent. I can be real. I can be honest. Yes, I'm a sinner, and Jesus is saving me from my sin. Zacchaeus didn't turn away from Jesus when Jesus moved toward him, and he ended up having his filthy, dead heart replaced by a vibrant new heart that was alive to Christ and alive to true righteousness. That's exactly what you and I need. Don't run away from Jesus. Run toward him. Run to him. Let me ask one last question. Is there anyone that you'd rather see publicly shamed than saved? If the answer is yes, you need to know that your heart is not in sync with Jesus' heart. You might ask, but but what about people who exploit or abuse others? God is clearly on the side of victims, so surely he wouldn't save their abusers, right? But you know, for God, this is not an either-or situation. Yes, God cares deeply for victims of abuse. He calls us to do the same. We must care. We must be concerned. We must care deeply for victims of abuse and injustice. We must stand against injustice. But Jesus also came to save those who misuse their power and privilege and abuse others, perpetrate injustice. Zacchaeus is proof of that. So rather than despise people, will you pray for them? Will you plead for them before the throne of mercy? And if and when you have opportunity, will you point them to Jesus too, just like you do those you like? The Son of Man really did come to seek and to save the lost, even wretched sinners like Zacchaeus, even wretched sinners like you and like me. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Father, again, thank you for recording this for us. Thank you for saving Zacchaeus. Please help us to believe and to repent. Convict us of our sin and convince us of the truth and the power of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.